And welcome back in another edition Stripe Show podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Here I'm final day of vacation here in the uh, Pacific Northwest. We'll be back in the studio next week as we uh, keep this run of great instruction going on here uh, on the podcast. It's been a terrific month. Let's keep it rolling here. As uh, The guy next to me just got back from the Twin Cities. It's the 3M Open this week up in Minnesota. One of the top short game coaches in the world, James Siegman. James, thanks for uh, joining us here on the podcast. Good, Travis. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, you've got five players uh, in the field this week. I know you've got multiple players, not only in the PGA Tour, but PGA Tour champions, LPGA Tour, the amateur game. Uh, but the five players this week, you've got Cameron Tringali, Stuart Sink, Brendan Heggie, uh, Ben Martin, and Bo Hogue. All in the field, and you'll be pleased to know that your boy Tringali is off to another great start, birding uh, the first three holes at at Twin Cities. But uh, you know, give us some perspective here, uh, James. You got five guys in the field. You get in, I would imagine, late Sunday, early Monday. You've got a lot of work ahead of you. How do you? How did that pan out over three days of preparation with five players? Yeah, so. Essentially, you just set up appointments like you would at a club. The difference would be that some players would say, okay, after we finish what we're going to do on the practice area, I need to go out on the golf course and I want to talk about these three holes or this spot on the course. And so you certainly do some course-specific work as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, you're right. I fly in on Monday. Luckily, these this is the first tournament. You don't have to take a COVID test, so... That was nice. It just goes right out to the golf course. It saves me a day, basically, or a half a day. And um, let's see. Uh, first lesson was with uh, Stuart Sink. And so he was really on point, I think, with uh, a lot of his short game. Travis uh, putting looked amazing. Very confident uh, around the green. But, you know, last week at the Open Championship, he was in fourth place after the first day. And then uh, playing great. He played great in practice. And then his opening tee shot on Friday kind of hit a big old hook into the heather and made a mess of it. And it just took him an hour and a half to recover, basically. He just, uh, the shock to the system. So, quite honestly, we spent a majority of the time just talking about uh, mental toughness and having the right approach when bad things happen. And uh, he I, and his caddy, is, which is his son, Reagan, were just working and talking together about the things we can do to uh, bounce back quicker, to refocus and whatnot. Certainly did some you know, technique work and did a wedge combine and the things we typically do. And then I would also say that um, not just with him, but with all the players, one of the big discussions for the week was just the rough. There, it's, it's patchy, it's thick. There's um, a lot of grain in there. It's clumpy. And so uh, a lot of time was spent just going around the greens, uh, working on that. And, and unfortunately, the practice area didn't really match the golf course. The rough wasn't nearly as thick or as long. So we had to do quite a bit of work out, out on the course. So with the rough this week like that, and the guy takes you out there and some of these specific shots, what are, what are you looking at? when you're evaluating the ball sitting in the rough? Is it, you know, the length of the rough, the thickness, right. what's happening around it? And what kind of determines, you know, maybe the amount of leading edge or not, you know, or maybe a, 
you know, kind of a bunker type technique, all these things that go into assessing the lie and then making the decision that, that you're going to, what type of shot you're going to hit. Right. Well, well, I remember Greg Rose asked me to write down ad adaptations for different grasses and lies and whatnot. And I got to like 120 something to quit just because so many different types of grasses that's teed up or if it's sitting down, if it's into the grain, down grain, is it cuckoo or Bermuda or bent or, you know, bluegrass or is it wet? Is it so, so there's a ton of, you know, uphill, downhill, all those. So it's uh, very ball specific to live specific and usually you're looking at density of the grass how many blades per square inch you know so it's really packed together you're looking at moisture not only in the grass but in the ground underneath obviously if the ground underneath is wet the ball is definitely going to come out slow you're looking at the direction of the grain and obviously the type of grass because some grasses like fescue are, are thick bladed and grab more than like a, a bluegrass might uh, and then also you're looking at how much air is under the ball. So a lot of times the rough is so thick that the most common mistake for a really nice player, proper player, would be that there's an inch and a half of air under the ball and it's really thick and it's still sitting down. There's, you know, three inches of grass over the ball and an inch and a half underneath it of air. And so it's judging the right angle of attack uh, to hit the ball solid. And you're right. I mean, there's... A splash shot or a bunker type shot is one shot among many. It might be one shot of among fifteen or twenty of them that you might play, and it's it's all about judgment. And then so I would also say that you know you got to manage expectations. You got a proximity to the hole out of the fairway inside thirty yards on tours, essentially three feet eleven inches. And if you, depending on how far away you are, when you get in the rough, you better add five or six feet to that. Mm. And a lot of guys, they chip it to eight feet and they're so pissed that they, they can't see straight and that they need to realize that that's not a, a bad shot. Mm. And uh, like I said, they might lose focus or get down. And so uh, expectations is, I think, important at that level as well. So if the, so if the balls, if you've got some air underneath, and even though <laughs> it's, and, you know, you might have some grass on top of it, grass going a different way, then there is that option of, you know, the bunker shot, right? Versus if the ball's sitting down more in the bottom <clears throat> and there's no air underneath it. Right. So so my thought would be the the, the easiest way to maybe explain it would be that if, if this is the ground, you know, the, the club comes into the ball, let's say fairway live about six, with an angle of attack of about six degrees. Uh, typically you want the face a little open to the path if you can, if you can do that from a technique standpoint. Well, if the ball's sitting down with a bunch of rough behind it, it's sitting on the ground, you need to steepen the delivery. So instead of six, you might come in at 10. And then speed is always your friend. So you want to release that thing with some vigor. And not only that, maybe add with a little longer swing or maybe defer down the club. But the real issue is like, if you got an inch and a half of air underneath it and you steepen the delivery to try and get good contact and you go underneath a bit where it hits high on the face, now the ball goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. So you got one come flying out and the next one goes halfway. And that's, that's the part that's um, delicate. You got to figure out not only, like I said, the density of the grass in wet into the grain, all those things. Uh, you got to figure out how much down angle you need. And so that's a, a big factor is ball position. And I, I'm not a big fan of leading edge, even in the rough. 
unless I can hit the ball first, unless I can put the ball so far back in my stance, I know I can get at the top of the ball. And that's a very specific lie. You typically know it when you see it, but you can't see it from six or eight feet away. You got to be standing right over the top of it. So, <laughs> so the attack angles is a, how steep or how shallow the attack angle is, is a big piece that you might work on in preparation for the tournament, right? To get right. that ball speed proper coming off the face where now the player can control it, right? Because that's, at the end of the day, that ball speed coming off for those guys consistently is then where they can start dialing in that control. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's tricky. Like, I'm going to just prep, prep your audience. Like, over 18 this week, Okay. You know, it's 18 is a par five with water short. Guys are going to be hitting, you know, fair with 600 yards, but they'll be hitting it on there. And water short over is the place to be. Well, over is just is awful with the rough. And then it kind of goes uphill and then down, back down, down grain with water behind it. And to try and get that ball to come out hard enough without hitting it back into the water is going to be, or at least in the hazard, is going to be a really good sized challenge. So, if it's sitting up in the air, you want to shallow the delivery. And I like to do that by taking less loft, putting the ball forward and feeling like a little draw mentality. But the problem with that is if it, if you have thick grass behind the ball and you're too shallow, then the ball doesn't come out either. So it's really a delicate balance. I was uh, with Cameron Tringali on that spot. We must hit little uh, different variety of clubs, different types of shots for probably 15 minutes. And we came to the conclusion that it wasn't that good a place to be, that maybe a better play would be kind of back left side of the green uh, where you could putt it or, or the rough wasn't nearly as bad on a much higher higher uh, side of the green over on the left. So, mm -hmm. But that's one of the things you do on the course is you, you got to plot your strategy and figure out where you want to be. So... Talk to me. Talk to me about Cameron Tregali. I mean, the guy uh, has been just a model of consistency. I mean, he's off to a great start again on Thursday. Um, just a solid player. What you you're close to him. What would a win mean to Cameron Tregali to finally get that first win? Clearly, the guy's an incredible player. Yeah, um, to get he, that first win. He's really been a nice player for. 10 years. I started working in 2010 or 11, something like that. It's been 10, 11 years since we've been together. First off, so a fantastic human being. He's got a beautiful wife and a little baby and he's, he's, he's grounded. He's a good man. And you're right. He's never won, but he's, he's won more money than anybody else that hasn't. So he's had a really nice career. The interesting thing about Cameron is I obviously a win would be huge because he, you know, Getting the majors and the exemption, all that, all the stuff that goes with it. But I don't think that defines him as a man. I think that he, the, the things outside of golf are more important to him, and uh, his family, and, and just being a good person and whatnot. And I think that uh, he's not one of those guys that's like huge on status or ego. He just wants to play good. He wants to learn. He wants to get better. So it would certainly be amazing. But but uh, I don't think it would be career defining like it would for somebody for maybe for me it would be you know if i could ever sneak in a win or something like that would but he's he's wired a little bit differently he really uh, yeah good a good good head on his shoulders well you keep knocking on the door you know that's you, you hear it all the time just keep putting yourself in a position to win right. 
Right. He will. And the reality is he's clutch as well. So even though he's, uh, I think, finished second three times, uh, four times, had a bunch of third-place finishes. I remember at New Orleans, one time he finished second. He buried the last two holes, and they're both just last group clutch. It's just that Justin Rose went, I think, uh, birdie, birdie as well to beat him by one. So it's just, uh, you're right. His time is coming. He'll be fine, yeah. you know. What's the so, biggest thing? What's the biggest thing he's gotten better at in short game over this 10-year stretch you've been with him? Well, yeah, he originally hired me, I think, because his bunker game was not very good, and I would put him as an elite bunker player for sure. Now, uh, and his wedge game around the greens is very good. I think two years ago, definitely he was, I think, uh, top 10 in strokes gained around the green. But I would say his wedge game from uh, – like 50 to 120 is elite. It might be as good as anybody I've ever seen. So he hits a lot of shots, which you would assume would be outlier shots, which would be, you know, 87 yards hitting it to two or three feet. Uh, he does a lot of that. And it's it's a weapon for him. And one of the things that allows him to do is like if he gets out of position and on a tough hole drives it in the rough or behind a tree, he really has the patience to uh, – you know, pitch it out there to 60, 70 yards in the fairway instead of compound the error. So he makes very few bogeys. If you look at his card, a lot of times he'll have a clean card or maybe one bogey around a golf. He's not making hardly any doubles, you know, and it's because of his, I think he trusts his short game to the point where he can manage his full swing uh, more smartly. Or I don't want to say conservatively, but uh, if he gets in trouble, he doesn't compound it. Right. Yeah, the patience is there to hit the the seventy five yard shot to six feet, make it, and then right. get out of there rather than forcing the hand to. You know, it's funny. Like I, um, just even my own game, I would say, have become more conservative that way, and a lot more talk that way of how patience tour players really are. Right. Um, well, I'll, the other thing I would say, Travis, is that I think. Short game when they when they do the strokes gain and all the analysis they go well the you know the short game maybe only accounts for a third of the the score but I'm going to tell you if you're afraid to chip you're not making many birdies because now you can't go at any pins and right. so there are uh, a lot of guys out there that hit the ball in the middle of the green not because it's a smart play just because they're afraid to chip you know and they those are typically the ones that hire me you know at some point in their career and so. Um, Trusting your short game, knowing that you're competent and you have that confidence, and that allows you to make more birdies, I think. Uh, take more on, go for a par five and two, and maybe you wouldn't otherwise. Uh, but if you don't have that trust, it just wears on you out there. It's just a, it's a kick in the teeth waiting to happen. So um, I really feel like uh, those guys that we've all talked about that have, are really strong there, and, and yeah. it, it makes me feel good. Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Improve your golf swing today. Pro-level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate within 2% of a $20,000 unit. The Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats and stores video with Shot Tracer. Helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback data and creates a better practice environment, not mindlessly hitting balls, extremely portable, 
case is about the size of a rangefinder. And you know what? You can use it both indoors and outdoors. I love this launch monitor. It's the Rapsodo mobile launch monitor. Check it out at rapsodo.com. R-A-P-S-O-D-O.com. Rapsodo.com. So here's a here's a loaded question for you. Because um, you could answer this a number of different ways. So let's see. In the full swing, we know there's mistakes that you would see common in an amateur, a mid-handicap, and then those mistakes would be very different than you would see with a touring professional, right? There's common mistakes, amateur versus pro. Uh, amateurs right. tend to be steep. They tend to be over it. They tend to have the open face. face. Yeah, yeah. yeah all that. You know, and then a tour player would be, you know, maybe chasing it down the line a little too much and versus, you know, turning and, you know, those kinds of things. So in short game, if you had to pinpoint one or two things, common mistake mid-amateur or mid-handicap player versus a common mistake you see with a touring professional in short game? The most common mistake for sure, without even a second, close second place in the short game, is that when people are around the green, they'll lean the handle forward and hood the club face. Or when you push the handle six degrees forward, that face ought to just rotate right along with it. And, and Travis, you know from watching good players, when have you ever seen one with a hooded club face at a dress, unless they're hitting some sort of specially yeah. shot up off an upslope or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they they hood it, they lean the handle and have the face point directly at the pin. I don't, I've never seen a pro do that. And then typically, because the club face is closed, they, a lot of them uh, go into flexion in their lead wrist and take it inside. And so if you're closed and inside chipping, you're just toast. You got nothing. Right. Those guys can't get it on the green. And I've never seen a pro. I've seen pros inside, but usually it's inside and open. You know, I've seen seen it closed, but usually it's outside and closed, like Furyk or Olathalbon, and they, you know, they supernate it the other way. But inside and closed just doesn't work, and that that's by far the number one error. And I think ninety percent of it's like it's set up, just horrible setup. Mm-hmm. You know, what about the tour player? What's a common thing you see out there that guys tend to kind of fall into? Maybe where you have to kind of work through it a bit well i would say the most common error is that a lot of times they'll work on something in their full swing and it'll lead into their short game mm. uh, and vice versa and that is uh something i've struggled with a little bit i, I coached charlie hoffman for about nine years and we worked on his bunker uh, takeaway and his chipping to get the lead rest a little bit more flexion. Well, his chipping and bunker got better, but his full swing got worse, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like just keeping things separate, uh, I think, is a big error. And if you're thinking technique-wise, I would say, uh, let's see, I would just say rhythm it happens to be a, a big issue. Uh, and maintaining that rhythm. Uh, but you, you don't see a ton of errors. I mean, I don't know too many tour players missing shots inside 100 yards. It doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So. So when you look at, um, you talk about this this different wrist action, right? Because in, right. in in the full swing, you know they they're coming in with that flat flexed lead wrist. Right. And then in short game, they're trying to get some of that out. You know, when they're trying to hit. Those, right. They're trying to get the ball up in the air anyway. Certainly, yeah. You got to you want to be. 
somewhat an extension and releasing it the same and maintaining the extensions you release the club and it's hard and it's um but i always tell people like listen your putting swing has nothing to do with your driver swing they're independent they're separate uh and you got to understand that it, to be good from 10 yards to have softness and control and be able to put spin on the ball and uh you know get the club turf interaction the way you want it, it you got to have a completely uh different mindset than you do when you're trying to compress a five iron. And so understanding what's optimal kind of from each situation, I think is one of the keys to being a, a very a, a player that can travel that uh, doesn't have holes in this game or her game. So it's interesting. Sometimes I'd love to hear your thoughts on this where I, you know, you'll set up shafts, you know, slightly forward, minimal lean lead wrist feels like it's just a touch of extension Sometimes I'm hitting shots where I feel like I just keep the wrist extended. You know, I'll take it back. I feel not a lot of not a lot of wrist cock, and I'll kind of just keep it more passive, like a almost like a Jason Day right. stricker. And then I'll and then I'll turn through and just keep it passive, knowing that the you know I've got yeah. a little extension, it'll pass. And then sometimes I'll feel a little more play with the wrist, a little more softness with the wrist, and I'll kind of get that shot how I like. You know, I'll kind of go right. back and forth with it feels almost fused versus maybe a little softness in play. Is that just, there's a lot of ways to perceive well, the, the extension of the wrist and the release. Well, that, and you're talking about, to some extent, you're talking about width. Uh, yeah. You know, Jason Day has a ton of width. There's not a lot of elbow fold or like I said, and one of the keys I think to that is setting up with kind of a soft lead arm. So the lead arm is soft. It's easy to get the lead wrist and extension, okay. right? So, and then you can just maintain those angles and you have, uh, and it really forces your upper body to rotate. If you're going to maintain the wrist and elbow angles, you, if your body stops, then obviously you can't maintain anything, right? So it forces you to, well, I, I like the support of the body rotation. Hmm. And I would just say that's one shot among many. It's kind of a style choice. I think those styles tend to be, uh, in certain shots, be give you a strength and i would say like uh if you're gonna hit like a eight iron across a green or have a very simple mid-flight uh pitch off a fairway that that feeling of maintaining your width and supporting with your turn keeping the uh wrist angle the same would be uh great yeah but if i put you in uh us open rough a yard <laughs> off the green yeah. And you're short-sighted, that's not going to work so good. So yeah. there you have to have way more wrist and you have to stabilize and let that club pass and increase the angles in your wrist in the delivery. And so uh, really what you want to be is, is great at both. And that's where the quality of your training would come in. If you're sitting in a pile, always practicing the same shot, you're you're not really developing judgment skills, but you're you're handcuffing yourself to one technique so mm -hmm. you know i told you judging the lies and adapting is key this week it's it's key to be a good player period and so that's one of the keys why you always just uh throw balls around the green and just do whatever and my, i remember when ricky fowler came out i was like hey ricky how'd you get so good he goes well i just threw balls around everywhere and just never repeated a shot and, and if you're practicing right it almost looks like you're screwing around because there's should be very little structure you know you're just playing yeah. sensing different shots i'm gonna hit this one high this one low you know changing slopes and lies and clubs so 
So that ball starts sitting down in the hay, U.S. Open. I got to get more play in the wrist, and almost like a little, almost like a little down cock, and then release. Uh, no, no, I don't like the down cock because okay. I think that ruins uh, the the rhythm. And but I would create the angle of dress, so I'd widen out and lean. That creates angle. Now the club's working more up. Okay. And from now that's more up, I can still go ahead and release it. So I don't ever want to go and then down cock. And now I've, I've certainly seen some players do that, but I don't think the elite ones do. And like the semi ballesteroses of the world. Right, didn't, right. didn't ever do that. Well, talk so, to um, yeah, yeah, but you need to control, control the, the angle of the delivery for sure based on the lie. So talk to me about this Stuart Sink guy. You know, here's a guy that uh, he's won twice now uh, this year. And it's been cool to see some of these, how could I put it, experienced players, right, in a, in a young man's game in many ways. Um, you look at a Stuart. Guy just continues to get right. better. He's gotten longer off the tee. What, where's been, what's been the most impressive thing to you and your department in short game that you think has been really cool to watch with Stewart this year? Well, uh, his emotional maturity is, believe it or not, even at this advanced age, is improving weekly. And his ability to focus and let bad shots go, I think, is bracing a lot of growth. But two years ago, he, uh, actually about, yeah, about two years ago, he asked me to do an analysis, kind of a deep dive into his stats because he had a horrible year. He was, uh, like 134th or something like that on. And so I showed him that if he'd improve his stroke average by 1.1 strokes a day, that he would be in the top 10 in the FedEx at the end of the year. And we just put a plan together to get those, uh, one and a half strokes, of that, uh, five tenths of it was going to be by adding ten yards of distance because you you gain half a stroke a day for every ten yards, and I thought that was very doable. He had the ball really far back in his stance; he really was wasn't loading and going to get it because of that. And so, um, actually, the week before Safeway, he came to Omaha, and I helped him with that. I I, I said, "Hey, we'll move the ball up. You want to hit it further? Move the ball up." load in your right glute and then i want you to pretend like you're throwing a medicine ball into the wall you got to go up and forward and go get the ball and uh his launch angle changed he went to ping and got fit for uh less loft less spin and so he's launching it high and he's he gained 12 yards so that's that's over a half a shot so that was half of it then we decided he needed to make way less bogeys way less penalty shots so he created kind of his own system based on what I had suggested. Uh, he, he changed it a little bit, actually made it more aggressive than what I was trying to propose. But um, he's cut his penalty shots in half. So that's like three-tenths of one and then a little better short game and a little more patience. And he's, he's basically re- got his 1.1 uh, or he's very close to 1.1 better. So and, he, and he's currently 17th right now in the, uh, right. In the FedEx. Yeah, so. yeah. The plan works. That's always fun, right? Well, you got you got to have one. I always tell people, <laughs> hope is not a plan. No, and you got to, It's got to be based on realism and science and real data, and 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 you can't let emotion uh, dictate what you're going to do. I think you got to think it through and think where are we going to gain ground here, and then you got to create a plan of action. And sometimes it's messy, but you got to be willing to take the chance and and go for it, so to speak. And uh, He's done that, and he's 
By the way, Stewart is still very strong. He might say 47, but he hits it as far as anybody other than maybe Bryson. I think he led the field at Hilton Head in driving distance when he won. So uh, he can still really move it. And uh, the weeks when he chips and putts good, he's always been an elite iron player, always. Uh, And uh, the the week that he chips and putts good, he's going to have a chance to win, I think. Yeah, well, he's won twice and, um, you know, open champion winner. And it's going to be there uh, in the playoffs, uh, I would imagine, probably all the way to Atlanta and uh, have a chance to just cap this thing off with a huge year, yeah. uh, which, would be, which would be really cool. All right, last question for you. Uh, this Brandon Hagee, right? You work with him as well. Speaking right. of distance, this dude can oh, move boy. it. <laughs> you got to get. He hits it so far. Oh, my God. He, he does. And. Yeah. You got to get excited, right, with a player like that. We got people who have that gear of length, because you know, as you just mentioned, what it's worth. Stroke, right? You're thinking, okay, he's already got this speed, right? And we just dialed just, this the yeah, department just, in, and this dude's going to be a world beater. Well, just so people know here, so so the 16th hole this week at 3m. Okay. Probably two of the days, it's like 4.34, but they'll move it up. They'll move the tee up and give, let the guys have a chance to knock it on. And last year's tournament, uh, Stewart had driver on, and he was playing with Brandon. Okay. And uh, Brandon pulled out a two-iron. Stewart says, I netted this driver to get it on the green, and I'm looking at this guy with the two-iron. I'm thinking, why is he laying up? And he knocked his two-iron right on the green. So he hits his two-iron as far as Stewart sometimes. It's his <laughs> driver. It's crazy. But uh, so the real story with Brandon, he's been playing amazing the last uh, two months. You know, he's been near the lead, mm-hmm. several top tens, had some incredible rounds, a lot of 63s and fours. Um, the real issue is that I feel like his wedge game, I started working with him like three years ago, maybe two, two years ago, whatever, two and a half. And his wedge game got great right away. His putting's lagged, so that was an issue that we've continued to work on. Uh, at at John Deere, however, he led the field in putting after three rounds, which is why he was right there. But the real issue is he started working with Tony Reguero in his full swing, and they changed his backswing and his delivery, get his right arm a little bit more in front of his body. So before, when you're hitting your driver 340, and you get a degree or two off, it can go in the wrong fairway really easily. And uh, he was really struggling for, I would say, with repeatability and control mm-hmm. with that, all that firepower. And um, in the last five months or so, he's hitting the ball much better. He's gaining strokes. He's, he doesn't have the penalty shots that he used to have. And, uh, you know, before he could hit eight iron 30 yards up, offline and now he's put him in there like everybody else but he's got all that length that not everybody has and so uh, i think now that he's kind of understands his golf swing he's going to be in good shape for a very long time i I would be shocked if he's not a good player for the next 10 years yeah it just feels like he's it feels like the the stars are aligning a little bit for him doesn't it i think so he was was six at the rocket mortgage 18th at the john deere classic and Man, you got that kind of firepower. Just well, he was, yeah, he was uh, second place going in the last day. So he was knocking on the door. Just struggled a little bit that last day. But he, he's when he plays good, he can go. And so yeah. now I think he knows what he's doing. I think he's he's going to be in great shape. Well, James, I can't thank you enough. Um, 
some some great insight here, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks for, uh, I know you had a busy week, and you got up with me here this morning to do this. So a day off today, or you got? Oh, no, no, no I'm head, headed to the course right now, but I appreciate <laughs> you having me on and um, enjoyed it. I always like talking golf, so so uh, anytime. All right, thanks. Thanks a bunch, right, James. Right, we'll, cool. uh, we'll talk to you soon. I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout out to my friends over at Encore Golf. Encore provides some of the most cutting edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York is changing the script of golf technology through their perimeter weighted designs, which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course. With their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show.